Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy? Pioneer aerospace excellence? Start a global hospitality brand? Be next to do it in Montgomery County, Maryland. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how our top talent, diversity, and location will help you be the next company to change the world. Welcome to the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed. If you love prospects, you came to the right place, as that's what this show is all about. Covering all levels of the minors to help give you an advantage in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, prospect fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 17 of the Fantrax Prospect Toolship with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another great episode in store for you today. And joining me, as always, is my talented bowtie rocking co-host from Fantrax HQ, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's up, bud? No, not much, man. I'm doing good. Uh, just been a lot of rain down here. I don't like it. I know you're snowed in, so you're going to laugh at me, but haven't been able to get outside much with the pouring rain and cold weather it's not been fun so you know no bow tie rocking just a lot of chilling inside and rain jackets when i'm when i'm going out so no it's good though i always love when people complain that like it drops into the 40s or it's raining and i'm sitting up here and that's you know freeze your nuts off weather outside (laughs) and it's like down the single digits at night high of like low 20s right now it is a balmy 23 degrees here in maine so that's actually nice. kind of warm for how it's been lately it's been very very cold but i, I saw uh texas is gonna get what like down into the teens i was like, yeah, they're, it's they're, like they're a, gonna lose their minds down there it's gonna be like a snowpocalypse like for real that's just weird for texas i know they get it every now and then but to be that cold and snowing i'm like what is it maine it's like very very weird but but yeah, let's get past the weather here. We got another great episode talking baseball and prospects today for you. We're going to be getting into our redraft talk here. Next two episodes will be focused on redraft leagues and what prospects you should or should not be targeting. We'll do hitters today, pitchers next week. We have a very great guest next week for you. But before we get into today's show, the usual housekeeping, you can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I am at AirCross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform. Those ratings and reviews mean a lot. And definitely go over and check out the draft kit over on FantraxHQ.com with over, I think we're getting near 200 pieces in that now. Rankings, Dynasty and Prospects, Strategies, Mock Drafts, Sleepers, Bus, ADP Analysis, everything you can need to dominate your draft and multiple pieces pumping out daily. So definitely go check that out before you head into your draft. And check out Chris and I doing our top 20 team-by-team prospect rankings. Chris is finishing up with the NL East. I am finishing up with the NL West. Check those out. And also check out all the other great podcasts we have on the network. My other show, The Five Tool Podcast, along with SP Streamer, Triple Play, On Campus, Kick Around, Fantasy Hockey Life, and IDP. But Chris, let's get right into it here. But before we get into you know this discussing players, we'll, we're going to talk a lot of players tonight. Let's do a little strategy here because that's very important when it comes to you know drafting these prospects because we all want to have the upside and you know we, we see the guys lately that have popped like the Tatis and Sotos and a Rosarena and then guys like that. But we got to remember, and it's something I try to you know state as much as I can. Those guys are the exception to the rule, not the expectation. Don't always think that all these guys are going to pop. That was my own personal problem, you know, several years ago. And something I was like, oh, I want the next big shortstop outfielder pitcher. And a lot of times it didn't work out. And then I didn't have a, a favorable finish. So definitely there's a lot of risk with prospects. But Chris, how how are you approaching drafting prospects this year or just in general? Yeah, I mean- 
in redraft, I think it's easy to get caught up in that. We naturally our brains want the shiny new toy. Like that's just the way we're wired as human beings. Like we want the next big thing. And so I think that's the easy thing with prospects is because we see Jared Kilnick's upside and we're like, man, he could come up and be a monster, which yes, he hundred percent could because we watched, like you mentioned, Tatis Soto Acuna do this, but they're the rare exceptions. And think about all the ones that didn't like Joe Adele last year. Joe Adele was right there equally as talented. He was ranked higher than Kelnick last year, like prospect-wise, immense talent. And he comes up and struggles. He had like 160. Like it was yeah. terrible. And I think we just get so enamored by the fact that we want the next Acuna. We want the next Soto. We want the next Tatis. But we have to remember the fact that if we look at a long history of these prospects coming up, they are the rare exceptions, like the 1% of prospects that come up and do this. And so yep. when we, when you look at the flashy guys this year, we're going to talk about them, the Kelnicks and you know, the Kirilovs that we expect to, to come up and be up early. Like I think we just have to temper expectations a little bit and realize that they may not make a significant impact right away. And so you have to really think about this. Do I want, and we look at these, these ADPs we're going to mention since January one, but the drafts I've been in, a lot of these guys are going much higher do I want to spend a top 175 pick on a guy who, one, I don't know when he's going to debut, two, is young and could struggle? That's my concern. And the more I've drafted, the more risk adverse I am. And I think there's just too much risk. And I hate to do that. And you take the chance of missing out, but I'm avoiding most of these guys completely. There's a certain range where I'm comfortable taking them. Like you get into the Andrew Vaughn range where he's going late enough normally, like post 300, where, yeah, that's where I buy in. But I'm not buying a prospect in the top 200 picks. I just can't get myself to do it not knowing, one, when they debut, two, will they struggle, which the chances of them struggling are pretty high. And so I, it very, I mean, obviously your strategy can vary. You could hit on them and, and take off and win your league. But I'd rather take a safe bet. I feel much more comfortable, and I, we say safe, like nobody's really safe. <laughs> Most players don't return par value. It's just the nature of our game that we play. But even then, I'll take the one that has that has done it before and has a safer bet to hit. Just kind of my my thoughts on that. Absolutely, I'm right there with you. I think the industry has kind of kind of scaled back on on the prospect level. Just look at a couple of years ago when I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s ADP was. Top 50, like even before he had even debuted. So you kind of look at, compare him to like a Jared Kelnick now, who you know, it's kind of the same ETA. Like before that season, Vlad wasn't going to be up on opening day. It was like, all right, he's probably going to be up mid to late April. It could, it could be the same scenario with Kelnick or, or roughly. And I think Kelnick hype right now is, is very, very high for fantasy. But you look at his ADP is, where is he? 223. So that's a good 150 plus spots lower than what Guerrero was being taken. I think that was what 2019, I believe it was. Yeah. And obviously that that didn't work out. And I was I was one. I definitely drafted Vlad in like the third round in a couple leagues. I definitely did. I I'm okay admitting that. I learned from it. It was a learning experience. And as you said, Chris, I become more risk adverse as well. With that said, it's definitely okay to sprinkle in some of these high upside guys, like you mentioned, like. But getting later in your draft, because I think mixing in a, some of these guys in the middle of your your core and your safe players, that's a part. That's a part of the pie that helps you win fantasy championships. Because if you hit on one of these guys mid to late rounds, it definitely boosts your team even more. But doing so after you've already established a good core, um, so that is definitely where I've kind of been going. I've been trying to get more safety in redraft leagues. Like if, if you want to get ahead of the competition, get the next big thing in, in dynasty leagues. That's what that's for. That's what dynasty is all about. But the redraft, you're trying to win in 2021. And some of these guys could definitely help you, but and, and some guys probably won't. And we'll get into those as well. So definitely you got to pick and choose. Look at the values. I just don't ever reach on a prospect because like we've both kind of said, if there's a 95 plus percent chance that that prospect will not return that value that where you take them. If it's like a high draft pick. So that's kind of the way I'm going here, but let's get, get in some player discussion here. We'll get some rookie ADP here uh, for 2021. There's one prospect eligible player 
being taken inside the top 100. So let's start there. He's his ADP is 57.5, and these are all every ADP you hear us say tonight will be since January 1st. I kind of cut out the October, November, December drafts. Kind of got the last month, month and a half, or draft seasons really started to ramp up on Fantrax and Yahoo and NFBC and whatnot. So yeah, all these are since January 1st. And Randy Arozarena's ADP is 57.5. So if you're in a 12-team league, that's round six. A 15-teamer, that's the end of round four. You know, you're getting you know, right around the four or five turn. That He's a perfect example. And great, he's debuted and Vlad didn't at that time. But this is a perfect example of someone that I am avoiding at all costs this year. And that is not an anti-Arosarena statement. Because we've and you, Chris and I, you both, we both said that we like Arosarena. He's a good player. There's some good upside there, and someone that I think we could have a very good career. But if I'm looking at just 2021, I the one thing that I like to mention a lot is getting a good return on investment. I don't know if you can with Randy Rosarena, even if he does close to what we think he can do, and he's like a 25 homer guy, 15, 20 steals. You know, the average is, is the question is he had struggles against off-speed pitches. And he was mashing fastballs, and pitchers are going to adjust to that like they always do. There was such a short sample size last year. Pitchers didn't really have that time to adjust. Now they have the entire offseason. I'm sure, especially pitchers in the AL East, you better be sure they're looking at video of a Rosarena and breaking down where he is vulnerable, and they're going to attack there. So I won't be surprised. I really want if a Rosarena was hitting like a buck fifty at the end of April, getting into May, because pitchers – you know, made those adjustments, starts throwing in more off speed and breaking pitches. And then maybe, you know, then it's the hitter's turn to adjust back. That's how it goes. So I just, I think there's going to be an early season swoon for a Rosarena. Yeah. He'll probably get it going, you know, second half of the season and then put up some solid numbers, but is it going to be top 60 ADP numbers? I don't know. What do you think, Chris? That's my concern. I mean, you look at his splits versus each pitch type. And again, Take it with a grain of salt. It's a small sample, but against breaking balls, he hit just 154 and had a 154 slug against breaking balls. Not good. His XBA was 160, so it wasn't any better. His his X slug 185, negative six degree launch angle. So when he did make contact, drilled him into the ground. His exit velocity on breaking pitches was below 80 miles an hour, and he had a near 50% whiff rate on him. 50%, and he had an actual 50% whiff rate against off speed pitches. I know it's a small sample, take it for what it's worth, but what happens when now pitchers watch this film that they've had all offseason, like Eric mentioned, and they're throwing him breaking pitches 40 and 50% of the time, which is prone to happen. That's my concern with all this. So, again, like a Rosarena, fan of his game. He's a very fast sprint speed. He's got good power. He's a good power-speed combo, but... I just prefer to wait. If you're looking for a guy with a very similar profile, you can get Tommy Pham near 80 picks later. And so I just prefer to go that route. And again, you want to start a fight on Twitter, just mention the name of Randy <laughs> Rosarena, Zach Plesak, or anybody of that nature who's... Alberto like, Mondesi. Yeah, Mondesi. I've, I've, I've heard of many a debate about him. <laughs> yep. But a Rosarena, you can start a big fight about people defend their boy. There's people on both sides. That's fine. I'm not opposed to that. People have different evaluations and that's okay. Like we don't hate Randy or Rosarena at all. I'm just being cautious with small sample sizes. That's all I'm doing here. (laughs) And that's all. I think that's the best thing we should do is we take the, the sample size for what it is and it was small and you take it for what it's worth. I mean, still he struck out nearly 30% of the time last year. (laughs) So while he hit balls really hard, they're swinging miss concerns here. And if he gets exploited on breaking pitches, that number is going to go up even higher. And what do the Rays do best? They platoon guys best. That is what they absolutely love doing. So I'm not sitting here telling you that a Rosarena is going to get uh, platooned because his splits aren't terrible. I mean, again, we're looking at a small sample. He hit just 227 versus righties last year. Only 53 plate appearances, so I'll give him a break. But in the past, like there's, there's some split concerns as well. And so... Wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him get in a platoon because that's the race. It's just what they do <laughs> at the draft price. I can't do it. Can't, can't dive in on him. So I'm out. It's funny looking back at where his ADP was to start the off season when I was like, what, just outside 100 at the time I was like, I thought that was too high. 
But now I think that'd be that. If I'm I think that's okay now. If you can, if I got him around pick 100, I'd be happy yeah. with that. But right. there is zero chance that he is lasting that long. Like his max pick on NFBC drafts since January 1st is 91. And I don't think he lasts that far in drafts now. His min pick is 24. That just shows you the second round. That's mid-second round or end-second round for you 12-team leagues out there. That's ridiculous. He, he has the same min pick as Raphael Devers. His min pick is lower than Zach Gallon. It's the same as Clayton Kershaw's. So I know that's all different leagues, but it's like that just shows you the hype is way overblown with him. So I think we both like him for 2021 in general, but not nearly at his ADP. The next three in ADP are kind of close. I guess we can cluster these two together. We get Cabrian Hayes at 141.7, Ryan Mountcastle at 153.2, Dylan Carlson at 154. So all right around, you know, 10th round or so. Chris, out of these three, is there one that stands out to you as someone that you're really going to target and or avoid in 2021? In particular, like I'm not targeting any of these specifically, but if I had to choose one, I'm probably choosing Cabrian Hayes. I do think that the hit tools is the best of any of those three. So I think he gives you the best chance at a solid batting average floor. Like he's a great hitter. He's got a great feel to hit. And then we saw the power come around this season and, you know, small sample survive pulls out like it's the same card. So I'm not going to pull a double standard and tell you that I'm going to pick nitpick his small sample of having power and then tell you not to buy into Rosarena's. But with Hayes, the power was coming. Like the power was developing before this. You see in 2019, I mean, he only hit 10 home runs in AAA over uh, 480 plate appearances. But we got to remember the environment that he played into. Like, that is not a a hitter-friendly environment that he was in in AAA where he was playing. And so I'm not surprised to see him come up and hit for power. Will he be affected if the ball's deadened? Probably. But I still think there's 15 to 20 home runs in this bat and solid batting average. So – I'm more than happy with that. He's got speed as well. And at a third base position that honestly is not good at all. I'll take a guy that can give me a 280 average with 15 home runs and 10 stolen bases at this, this price tag, because just looking at the other guys, I mean, Mount castle, there's some concerns here. He's going to obviously see some regression Carlson. I think that we're still overrating a little bit. I think that's going to kind of catch up with him. I think you might hit on that a little bit. I know we've talked about this before, but yeah, if, if anybody I'm taking Cabrian Hayes, but honestly, I haven't got many shares of any of these three right here in the spot. Yeah, I haven't either. And I kind of agree, even though I've never, I've kind of been one of the lower people in the industry when it comes to Hayes and my rankings. And I think I still remain one of the lower people, but for 2021, I, I think I might go Ryan Mountcastle here. So, like I said, I'm not crazy about any of these three at their ADP. And I think Hayes is even going above that. Like I'm pretty sure that, that ADP has been slowly trending up as the offseason has gone on. While I think Mountcastle and Carlson have kind of held steady in that 150, give or take range. But with with Hayes, he's definitely the safest, I think, of the three. But then again, I think Mountcastle, he's got the pop there. I think he could be a, a 25 homer bat. In cores, not course, uh, in Camden Yards this year. That's a good hitters park. A lot of good hitters parks in the ALE. So get the hit in, you know, probably Toronto will be in Buffalo again. That's a good hitters park. Fenway, obviously, Yankee Stadium. So probably a, what, a third of his games, at least, will be in those parks plus that. So you look at that, two thirds of his games, at least, at a bare minimum, will be in probably top 10 hitters parks. That's always great for a player's value. You know, there's some concerns. He obviously he's he's not a three was a three thirty hitter, whatever he hit last year. That he's not that type of hitter. But even that two sixty to two sixty to two seventy with twenty five bombs, I think that Baltimore lineup could actually be. It won't be great, but it's not as terrible as it has been in the last couple of years. You know, they got Trey Mancini coming back, and I, I'm a big Trey Mancini guy. He was a great hitter before his belt with cancer which thankfully he's passed now. They have Austin Hayes, I think, could be solid. Anthony Santander, you know, with Mountcastle in there too. So it's not going to be a great lineup, but he's going to hit somewhere in the middle of that, probably, if I had to guess, probably fifth or so. I see a lot of depth charts having him fifth or sixth. Probably Santander and Mancini will be 3-4, but I definitely see Mountcastle sliding right behind them. So solid RBI opportunities there. So I think he could push 80 to 90 RBI. And just 
with Hayes, I would pick him, but that Pittsburgh lineup is atrocious. That like is. he's already the best hitter in that lineup since they got rid of Josh Bell. Like look at the people around him. Adam Frazier, he's probably should be a, a you know a utility guy at best, but he's a starter. And he actually looks like he may even platoon this year. And then you got Caprian Hayes will probably hit two or three. Cole Moran, he's he's okay. He's not great. He's he, clean up. <laughs> yeah, he's like Brian Reynolds. Yeah, he had a really down year. I think he's decent, but not great. Polanco, he can never stay healthy anymore. You know, like Anthony Alford, Jacob Stallings, Kevin Newman. Like this is, I think, and um, I, I don't know. I think this might be the worst lineup in baseball right now, off the top of my head. So I don't think there's gonna be a lot of runs in RBI for Hayes. The counting stats won't be great. So I give the side edge to Mountcastle personally, but I think both can be solid players. I think Hayes could give you, you know. 15 to 20 home runs and around he could go 2015 this year and i won't be surprised by that with a solid average so if he does that i think he's definitely worth the draft slots you can get those 15 or so steals from third base a position that you usually don't get a lot of speed from that definitely has value so i don't know if i want him as my starter at at third i I, actually i don't think he's outside my top 12 and even outside my top 15 but as a middle infielder i mean i'm so i'm okay with that if he can give me those, you know, 15 plus, 15 plus there. And then with Carlson, he's kind of the one I'm, I'm avoiding. You know, I still like Carlson a good amount, but I question the hit tool. I question the average, especially this year. I don't think long term he's more than like a 270 bat. And this year, I don't think he's going to be even that high. You know, he made adjustments to look better in the end of the season last year. But as a whole, he's only really had one year in his professional career where he's hit for a good average. That was 2019 where he hit 292. His second highest batting average for an individual season was back in rookie ball where he hit 251. Outside of that, 240, 246 in the minors, and then 200 with, with the Cardinals. And obviously you can't take stats you know, 100% seriously, but he's just never shown to be a really high contact guy. The power is definitely there. He could hit 25 home runs this year, but... The speed, he gets, his speed's overrated. He, yeah, he had 20 in steals in 2019, but he's an average speed guy at best. So think 10 to 12 at most. And who knows if, if he does that this year. So if he's giving me, you know, tw- mid 20s home runs, low, you know, six to eight steals this year, a 250 average, that's more like a guy I'd take around pick 200. And also, it's a very obtainable profile for fantasy purposes. There's a lot of those guys that kind of sh- screams. Max Kepler to me, he was going like 50 picks later. So, and I'm not a big Kepler guy, but I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on Carlson? Are you looking at him this year at all? Not really. I mean, I do think he plays every day, which is a plus. He's got a, yeah. he's got a job. I mean, they've shipped out Dexter Fowler. So that is what he's got going for him is he's going to get every day at bats. He did pick it up towards the end of last year. Like when he got demoted down to the alt side, then he came back and he looked much better. But again, I just think overall, like you said, I, He's just had really one season of a really good run. And even if you look at the splits, I mean, he only he hit 281 in double A. And then he came up and tore up triple A in 2019. He had just 79 plate appearances, but he hit 361. So I'm not really buying that average being that good. I think he's average hit tool at best. So I'm thinking like this season, I'm not really expecting more than like a 250 average. And I think long-term, maybe he's like a 260, 270 guy. But I'm not really buying in that he can hit 280 or 290 like some people think. And is the power legit? Honestly, I don't think it's as legit as we saw in that environment. I mean, he absolutely tore up double A, hit 21, stole 18 bags. But no, I, I just think that the expectations probably should be tempered a little bit. Like, I think that his speed does taper off with time. I mean, you look at the type of body he has, I just don't see the sprint speed lasting long-term. And I think the power is, is average, honestly, like his game power is probably average. So, you know, I mean, we're talking about in redraft, he's kind of an avoid for me, but dynasty is a sell high, honestly. Yep. I, I definitely agree with that. He's, he's bumped down a little bit down my rankings, my prospect rankings to, I think he's 13 now, or he was like eight or nine. So it wasn't like a massive drop, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely out on him for 2021. Now, the next couple guys here in ADP are all kind of like more of speedster types. We got Ha-Seong Kim, 178.5, Nick Madrigal, 191.6, and Leody Tavares, 196.3. 
two of those three actually really intrigue me for uh, for 2021 and our guys I've actually targeted and got on a few teams, few shares of each one. Hassan Kim is the one I do not have. I don't think I have one single share of Hassan Kim, even though his ADP has come down from when he initially signed with the Padres when he was going, I saw him go like 110 in a draft. And I was just, oh my word, that was way too high. But it's, it's suddenly, you know, it's pushing down near 180 now and I'm still not going near him just because there's so many nows to feed in San Diego. He's got a fight with Cronenworth, and I, I don't think he gets more. I think he settles in 400 to 450 at bats this year, which, you know, I'd be fine taking him as a late-run flyer 100 picks later, but as a top 200 person that's not guaranteed playing time, I'm kind of staying away. But Madrigal and Taveras are the two I like. It looks like Taveras is going to lead off for Texas, and that Texas lineup could be could be pretty solid. Like I like Taveras. The average won't be great. He's not going to be a high average or high OBP guy, but the power and speed is there. He could be like a mid-teens power guy, 20-plus steals. So I think that is valuable there. And then Madrigal obviously has zero power, but like I, I put out a, well, I've been doing these 2021 prospect profiles. I did I did one on him yesterday on Sunday, and you know I said that you know he's already top for guys that had 100-plus plate appearances last year. He was top five in... O contact, Z contact, contact, and had a, uh, I think the second lowest swinging strike rate. Like he's already like David Fletcher with more speed and a little less power. So yeah, the shoulder injury is there, but it looks like he should be ready close to the start of the season. Maybe he misses a week or two, but I like him. I think he gets overlooked because he has no power, but this is a legit 300 hitter in the making. And he's already shown that with, with 25 plus steals hitting, even if he gets low in that lineup, that's a loaded lineup. So I don't, I'm all over Nick Madrigal here. I don't know. What, what do you think? Any of these three you, you going after? And I want to go after Kim so bad. I almost did it in our relegation league, <laughs> but I just, I can't do it. I mean, you look at the numbers and obviously super intriguing. I mean, this past season in the KBO, he hit 30 home runs, stole 23 bases, 306, 397. 523 slug so pretty darn impressive obviously he's in a good spot but then you see what the Padres are doing it's like what is their plan with him and that's my concern they've got they resigned pro far they've got Cronenworth they just don't have spots for all these guys now I can't imagine that they signed Kim to not play him every day but I don't know I do have my reserves and just the way guys translate from the KBO is is so different. And that's my concern here. I mean, you look at the projections, which again, hard to put projections on a guy that, you know, is coming over. Zips is obnoxiously high on him. Zips has him 22 homers, 18 stolen bases, 103 RBIs, 93 runs, 267 average. That's probably like a borderline top 50 or better player, which is kind of crazy to me. But all the other projections are much more conservative and having like 10 to 12 home runs and like, seven to 10 stolen bases. So I got to keep putting that in the back of my mind. And it it's caused me not to draft him anywhere, even though I do want, like I'm intrigued. I think there's upside, but I just can't do it. And so um, Kim kind of out on Madrigal is interesting. You mentioned even with minimal power, like let's just say he's a four home run guy, which is kind of low. Maybe he gets to seven to 10 in, in the best year. So um that would be good, but you look at the batting average. He could definitely contend for the batting title. He can steal 35 bags, like you mentioned. That's pretty valuable, It's especially at second base. Second base falls off hard after the top guys. And so when you get him here, if you have the power bats, like this is a perfect complement with someone later, like, I don't know, like a Jock Peterson or a Kyle Schwarber type who give you the power and can make up for it. So you blend those two and you have like this monster player that can give you 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases. And then you blend those batting averages. Madrigal can hit 340 like he did last year and Schwarber hit 240 and you blend them together and they're pretty good. So I don't know. Madrigal is interesting. Tavares, he's one that, you know, I really am questioning the playing time and like what, what the Rangers are going to do with him. That's my concern. Uh, so uh, I don't know. Uh, he could obviously hit leadoff in that lineup. He's a switch hitter. That's attractive, but who even knows with the Rangers? Like they could easily bump him in AAA. So that's kind of my concern there. And one reason that I've avoided, even despite the upside, like there is a lot of upside, 
with Leodi, and I do like them, but no, I'm kind of avoiding most of them. Madrigal is one that I am interested in at the right price, but where's he going? He's going right inside 200. Yeah, I think it was like 191. Yeah, yeah, 191.6. So not bad. I mean, it's a good spot. I'll take the risk there. Yeah, I, I, I would too. And even like the power, I said the, the shoulder usually affects power, but you don't have to worry about that with Nick Madrigal because he doesn't have any power. And I do think that Kim can transition over easier than some of these KBO guys in the past have just because he has a, a really good plate approach as well. I think that's going to help ease the transition. But yeah, just the playing time alone. Yeah, and, I, and I agree with Tavares. So there's some playing time concerns there too. So I think out of these three, I'd, I'd go for none. But all three are, are intriguing in their own right. So definitely guys to keep in mind, you know, around two, pick 200, give or take. And now, all right, we've we've talked about these other guys. Let's get into the big boys now, Chris, because really the next three we can talk about here are probably the top three rookies that have not debuted yet. Obviously, Rosarino probably the top player, but we got Jared Kelnick, 222.7 ADP, Alex Kirilov, 264.3, and Andrew Vaughn, 337.8. And I put out a tweet that kind of thought made people think that my account had been hacked about three weeks ago, where I said that I was, well, you know what? Well, everyone's targeting... Kelnick, and you can see by his ADP being about 40-ish spots higher than Kaloff and over 100 higher than Andrew Vaughn, I'm probably going after, out of these three, I want Kirloff the most for 2021. Why? Because he's playing on opening day. Yeah, they could bump him down. I, that's a possibility. But it looks like Kirloff is going to be in the opening day lineup, hitting you know probably sixth or so in a very good Twins lineup, one through nine. A lot of, a lot of power in that lineup, what a potency. I want Kirloff personally. I like all three, but I don't know. Kelnick at, if he's up and if I could get a guarantee that Kelnick was up by the end of April, which I think he will, but that's not a guarantee. But if I could get that guarantee, all right, I'd be okay with that 223 ADP. Cause I think he could go hit for a good average, good OBP, 20 bombs, 15 steals this year. I think he could be, Everything that Cabrian Hayes could be this year, but with more counting stats, because that Seattle lineup is obviously a lot better than Pittsburgh. So I would love to get him there, but that's not a guarantee. He They could play the service time game, Super 2 game. He might not be up till end of May. We don't know. But uh, for me personally, I go off to Kirloff. And then Vaughn, you know, Chris, I'll let you speak to Vaughn. You wrote the article on him a month or two ago on Fantrax HQ. Vaughn is great. He's one of the safer, you know, floor prospects in the game with equally as high upside. Now I like him a lot at 337. That's a great value there. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think I've said it a couple of times, but I'll say it again. I wouldn't be surprised if they go ahead and extend him. Like they buy out his, his team control years and put him on the opening day roster. Now he's got, they've got Jose Abreu at first base, but they don't really have anybody that's like a true designated hitter. Like Eloy obviously can DH some, but Eloy goes back to left field. Vaughn could DH right now and give that lineup a solid boost. He's more than ready. He was ready last season at the alt side. I mean, they, he was the best one there. They He was literally waiting for the call all year. Like, they they told him at one point that he he was might come up. And so he was ready to go. I think he's even more ready now. The, the floor is so safe, and you know what you're getting. And, you know, some people, I think, have just looked at his small numbers after he was drafted in 2019 and are concerned, but – he was really good. If you watch him play, he had some mammoth bombs. I mean, the hit tool is incredible. The contact skills are so good. And I think you're looking at a true like floor of like 60 hits, 60 power. And so I've even seen some people throw a 70 power, which is kind of crazy. I, I'm not going that far, but I do think he's a 30 home run bat. He could hit 280 plus pretty easily. Wouldn't be surprised to see him have some seasons that he hits 300. And because of the contact skills and because of the approach, like he's not somebody I think struggles off the bat. Like he's going to come up and just hit the ground running. A lot of prospects, like we talked about Joe Adele, you know, they have the spottier hit tools. So they're the ones that are more prone to struggle. Vaughn's not that guy. And so I think getting him that late is an absolute steal. Cause I don't, even if they don't buy out his RB years, you're looking at potentially, you know, May at the latest, I think. So he's a good value and you can, hold and you can sit on him for a month honestly and him just you know, knock it out of the park and be returned great value for you yeah no he's the player that you know that adp 
even if he struggles or you know for some reason they don't call him up early, for example June July, what's the, there's not really much risk there. Like, all right, he doesn't work out, you, you cut him and you pick up somebody off the waiver wire. It's not like you're taking a top two hundred pick on him like we have in the past with these types of guys. So definitely love Keeloff and Vaughn at those ADPs for sure. And that's a great point. You know, I mentioned that too, where if you want to go after a prospect in your redraft leagues, go after the ones that have don't have the big strikeout concerns, have the safe hit tools. And as we all saw, Adele is not one of those guys. He could be, you know, the contact tools I think could be solid with Adele. But yeah, he's not the one to go really spend top dollar to get in redraft. But a couple more guys here before we take a break that are, could be redraft targets. And we got Alejandro Kirk. His average ADP is 278.9. And then Bobby Dahlbeck from my Red Sox, 296.3. I guess I'll speak to Dahlbeck, Chris. But here, you, you talk about, I know you're a big Kirk guy. And as am I, you know, like I said, he's my little bowling ball, as I like to call him. Um, but with Toronto's recent moves, are you even looking at him in redrafts right now? No, I'm not considering him, sadly. And that breaks my heart to say because, you know, mm-hmm. everybody knows we hyped him up. I hyped him up a lot. Several pods I've been on, I hyped him up. And now I look dumb because, I mean, there's no room for him. He's not going to play. I mean, they have six catchers on the 40-man, and he was looking to get DH at-bats when he wasn't catching. He ain't going to get that now. There's there's just no way. There's not enough at-bats to go around for Telez and, and everybody. I mean, they're absolutely loaded. I don't have much to say. I hate that, but I'm just avoiding Kirk at this point. Maybe they trade him. Like that would be kind of cool if they traded him somewhere, but I don't see it happening. Like trade him for an arm, you know, give him to somebody that's, they could use him and play him every day. Cause he's good. Like he's a pure hitter, you know, great hit tool, 15 home run type, which, you know, based on his early projections, he was projected like the second best catcher. If you're just looking at like solely projections, which obviously you should do more than that, but shows his skill level for sure. Like the high average was, was totally legit and the power is decent, but no, I'm avoiding him. Unfortunately. Yeah. He was like my late round catcher target. I was like, ah, I'll let everyone else fight for the grand and the Christian Vasquez's of the world. I'll get Kirk late. And then those looking great. I got him in a few leagues. I wasn't the only one trying to go after Kirk, so I didn't get him in every league, but and yeah, then they bring in George Springer and, who else did they bring in? I'm forgetting. Oh, Marcus Semyon. So there's a lot of these guys that were playing in the outfield and were playing DH and whatnot. So it kind of moved him from playing DH and catching a little bit to maybe he's a backup catcher at and getting some time at DH, but he might just go back and start in AAA. I'm not sure how they're going to kind of work that as they also have Reese McGuire on the roster. So they don't need to have Kirk up there. Hate to say that, but, but yeah, I'm not looking at him in, in this year either. But one I am kind of looking at late, who is one of those later power guys that I think he could put up similar numbers minus the speed to a uh, Dylan Carlson, especially in OBP formats, but you can get at 125 or so picks later. That's Bobby Dahlbeck. Like, Dahlbeck's a dude. Like, he's a dude. Like, he, this is a 30 plus homer bat in the making. And I've said it time and time again. His swing is tailor made for Fenway. He pulls, he elevates. That means a lot of doubles off the monster, a lot of home runs into and over the monster seats. Yeah, the average is not going to be great. So more so target him in OBP formats, but he could put up 30 bombs this year. And it looks like, you know, they keep bringing in all these guys like Marwin Gonzalez and these types to kind of fill out the roster. None of these guys play first. So unless they re- you know bring back Mitch Moreland, which I would never put past the Red Sox. They love Mitch Moreland. He's, good. He's a good player, a good clubhouse guy too. I don't, I don't mind Mitch Moreland at all. But unless they bring back in somebody like him, I think he's going to get the lion's share of the playing time at first base. And yeah, he probably hits low. I don't see him hitting higher than sixth. I think best case scenario He's probably more like seventh or eighth down there with Renfro and and the Kiki Hernandez and then a recently acquired Franchi Cordero, who I like a good amount. But that's just some cheap late round power. You could get a 30 homer bat around pick 300. And if you're in OBP formats, he could be a top 150 player this year because he walks a ton. So even if he hits 240, that could still could be a 340-ish OBP with how much he walks. But I don't know. Do you, do you like Bobby Dalbeck this year? Yeah, not as much in a batting average league, but in the OBP format, uh, definitely. he's He should go way higher in OBP. And I, I assume he does. Most people know that. But if he falls in your OBP league, you got to grab him. He, I think the bat's definitely legit. The power's legit. Uh, the batting average, kind of risky. Like, yeah, but he's not going to be any like 
at worst, probably like 240, 250, like worst case in my opinion. But the OBP gets a huge boost. And so he's probably easily like he pushes probably 340 OBP, which is nice with that power. So now I'm happy to get him there in OBP league and even a batting average league if you're just looking for a power, like a, just a pure power guy. Like I think he's a good target. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's kind of wraps up the kind of the redraft draft portion of the targets here for prospects for 2021. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side, talk some players we don't think will be up, some deep league targets, some mid-season guys we think we'll see, and plenty more. So don't go anywhere. The following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit Kindly at Asbury.org today. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. All right, welcome back in, talking redraft, hitting targets for this season. I already talked to a lot of the guys that you should be targeting in your actual draft this spring. And one that we did not target, I'm probably, a lot of people are wondering, oh, where is this guy? Wander Franco. Yeah, so where do we think he's going to be up? His 2021 value, his 2021 ETA. That's a thing with, with him. For me personally, I don't think there's a big Wander Franco impact for fantasy this year for two reasons or three reasons. A, I don't think he's up before June. If they trade Willie Adonis, which they've kind of been kind of in talks with, maybe that's, you know, expedites his timeline, but I don't think we're, we see him before June. And I question how much offensive impact he's going to hit for a good average. I, I don't have any doubts. He hits for a good average because he's done that everywhere. He has the best hit tool. Maybe those hit to one baseball, but the power has been in question. You know, the ground ball ways, the exit velocities have been questioned. They haven't been as elite as you'd like to see from a guy with his statue as a prospect. So I don't know. I, I think he'll be a worthwhile asset, but you see he's either going to be drafted or if you don't draft him and he comes up, Who, if you're in a weekly fab, oh my, get ready to see some of the highest fab bids you've ever seen. Pro Wander Franco. People could be getting like 80% of their fab to get this guy. I just don't think it's going to work out. So maybe I'm in the minority here, but I don't know. Chris, what are your thoughts? No, I agree. People are going to throw way too much money on him if they don't already own him. So I'm not feeling, I don't think he has much impact. I don't think he's caught up anytime soon. Even if they do trade Adamus, I'm just, I'm not seeing it. I mean, there was concerns out of Instructs and the alt site. You've heard him by this point. Hits the ball on the ground too much. He makes good contact. I mean, like his contact percentages were absolutely insane. Like based on what he did in instructs, they'd be like right there with David Fletcher, like the best contact rates in baseball. But again, that doesn't matter if you drill it into the ground and your exit velocities are terrible. And that's kind of what he did. He just hit weak ground balls. It's kind of stinks. Like is what it is. His value may dip a little bit in dynasty leagues, but I, for redraft, uh, I don't see any impact. I don't see, I don't think he's ready personally. I think he needs some more seasoning. And I think I don't see the Rays rushing him. Well, I mean, I know there was that tease last year, like around the World Series when, you know, he had a jersey and they were talking about him potentially being on the roster and everybody was going crazy. But <laughs> I, I don't think he's ready. I really don't. I think that you don't see him until maybe August. And so I'm not seeing the impact or any reason to personally draft him. And then, like you mentioned, when he does come up, get ready. If you want him, you're going to blow all of your fab if you have any left at that point. But I'll be out on that. I, I'll take the. I'd rather take the safe route and just say I don't think he's going to make an impact in 2021. And me personally, I don't like spending like two thirds or more of my fab on one player. I just don't like unless. And there's no guarantee. I, I've never understood that. Like, I've been in leagues where I've seen you know seven hundred dollar fab. You know, usually if you usual one thousand dollar budget. Like a six seven hundred dollar fab bit. I'm like, why? I guess if you haven't used a lot of it and you don't think you're going to use a lot of it at that point, I I guess. But even then, like this, I try to use my my fab budget much differently throughout the year. So yeah, I will. I can guarantee this. I will not have a single redraft share of Wander Franco this year. 
2022 and beyond, all bets are off. But the gloves are off there. But 2021, yeah, I just don't see a, a big impact. And you know, while we're on the subject of the Rays, there's three more that I think could debut this year. And I think there's definitely a chance of 2021, you know, debuts for these three. It's Xavier Edwards, Vidal Bruhan, and Josh Lowe. Chris, any of those three, you know, intrigue you? Or do you think any of those three can have a fantasy impact once they come up? No, and that's my concern is that, again, with the Rays, like, they just do weird things with guys. They platoon. There's intrigue. I mean, I do think that we probably see Bruhan definitely by midseason. We probably see Josh Lowe. Where do they play is the question. That lineup's not great. I wouldn't say they're as good by any means, but they've got so many just bodies and, like, right. too many guys to make room for them. And that's my concern. I mean – you look at all the guys that they play all over the board. I mean, you've already got uh, Brandon Lowe's not jumping off second base, in my opinion, even though we know he can play outfield. The outfield's already kind of loaded with Meadows, Rosarena, Marco, and Kiermeyer. So, you know, there's already an odd man out there. So, Meadows is looking like the DH right now. And the infield, I mean, you've got G Man Choi, you've got Yandy Diaz at first. They can play first and third. Uh, Mike Brosseau, they all these guys, like, so I. I'm struggling to see where they play. Third base might be the most open spot. Like, do they want to play Joey Wendell there? Are they comfortable with the Andy Diaz? Don't know. So maybe that's an advantage to Josh Lowe because he can play third, even though he hasn't in some time. I think he's kind of more of a natural outfielder. So I don't know. That's my concern is I just don't see the playing time available, even though there's talent. Like there's talent with all these guys, but I'm just not really seeing it. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I think it's going to take an injury or a trade or something to open up any playing time for these guys or any significant playing time. Like I said, I think we'll definitely see Lowe and Bruhan. Maybe we'll see Edwards, but he's probably third on the ETA for out of these this trio. So I think we'll see them in some capacity, but is that a capacity where we can roster them in fantasy? I don't think so. Not without an injury. Like you mentioned, there's so many dudes in this lineup, like that can play all over. Mike Brosseau can play everywhere, and Joey Wendell can play three different spots. And Adamus is a solid shortstop on both sides of the ball. I, I just don't know where they fit in. So I would love, and all three of these guys can bring speed. You know, Bruhan Edwards a little more than Low, but all three I project as twenty plus stolen base guys at least. And then Low can add a little bit of, of the pop as well. Bruhan can add a good average, so can Edwards. So. I would ha- I would be intrigued if they came up due to an injury, like let's say Margot gets injured for for an example, and they bring up Josh Lowe. Okay, I might be intrigued there. Or if Brendan Lowe gets injured, they want to bring up Vidal Bruhan. But even so, I think first and foremost, Tampa Bay wants to make room for Wander, and then you, so you have to find one spot for Wander, and then you find another spot for these guys. So I just don't see it happening. Long term, I like all three of these guys; they're all top one hundred guys for me. But I just don't see it in 2021 for sure. But while we're on that, let's look, look at some midseason kind of fab waiver wire targets. You know, Chris, we have on our little outline here, we have like 10 or 11 names on here. What are what are like two guys out of that list that you see? I, I think I know who one of them is. What are two guys <laughs> you like most that you'll be targeting when they're when they come up midseason? I'm going to not go the obvious one because everybody knows I'll probably pick Jeter Downs. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I figured that's where you thought I would go. But the two names when I first looked are Trevor Larnick and Nolan Jones. So Jones has kind of been working at multiple positions. I think that they're ready to get his bat in the lineup. And the dude can absolutely rake. I mean, he's his fault is that he's too patient. He is way too patient at the plate. He works too deep into counts. And so while he he shows like high strikeout numbers, he's not that guy at all. I mean, he walks at enormous rates. It's just stupid how high his walk rates are. Like every stop's like 15 to 20% walk rate. Like so good. He's got monster raw power too that he really hasn't tapped into. The game power is like easily plus. And if you look at the raw, I think he's like double plus. He's that talented. He can hit for average. He's going to be an OBP monster. And the Indians may push him, but with what they've done, I have my doubts. I mean, you look at the moves they've made, bringing back uh, Cesar Hernandez, and he's obviously going to get the rest second, but then that bumps like 
someone like Andres Jimenez out of the picture, potentially. I think Jimenez starts in the minors, and then you you have a lot of mouths to feed. They sign Eddie Rosario. It'll be interesting. Are they comfortable with Daniel Johnson in right field? Don't know. That's my question. I, Jordan Wicklow? <laughs> yeah. So Jones has been working in the outfield. He could pop up, and he's not going to play third. Like, Jose Ramirez is sticking at third, so – where does he play is the question mark. He could take over at first base. They've got Josh Naylor there right now. We'll see how it all shakes out. But Jones is definitely an intriguing one because the bat's that good. And Larnick as well. Like we talked about Kirilov and how talented he is. Larnick is, in my opinion, equally as talented. Heard arguments on both sides. A lot of people have said not even close. Like, you know, he Larnick's not even as close to talented. I think they have some similarities. Larnick's got big power. He's got a good hit tool. He's an OBP monster as well. You look at a similar profile to, to Jones. He doesn't walk as high of a clip as Jones does, but the dude rakes. The game power hasn't really come around as much, but it's coming. I mean, you look at what he does. You look at the fat speed he generates. You look at his frame, and he's got just all the raw power in the world. And so the question of Larnick is where does he play, I guess, is the biggest question. Does he have a regular spot? So that would kind of deter me from dropping a lot of fab on him, but I think Larnick's bat is – very intriguing for fantasy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, people that say that the two of them aren't even close, Kirloff and Larnick, I, I, I don't know what they're seeing because they are very close. Absolutely. I, I give the slight hit tool advantage to uh, Kirloff, but then again, I give an OBP, I give the advantage to Larnick there. Long term power, I'd give the side advantage to Larnick, and he hasn't had a lot of home runs, but it's more of a, if once he gets that launch angle up a bit, there's more raw power, I think, and power upside in his bat than there is in Kirilov. So definitely like him. I'm going to go – I'll go a little bit of a homer here, but it, it definitely fits. And I'm up with Jeter Downs. You know, we, we've talked about him a lot. I think he's up midseason. I think we, we both think that he'd be a decent target to take over at second base um, for, for Kike Hernandez, moving him back to a utility role. But but these – the signings of Hernandez and Marwin Gonzalez, who can play, like, everywhere, kind of make me, like, wonder – do we see a big downs impact? I think we, we could have before these two signings. I was like, all right, he's taking over at second base. We'll, we'll probably just plug Chavis in there or whoever for a couple months. He'll be up like June, July, and then he'll be a nice little power speed threat down the stretch. But with these two signings, I don't know. I'm a little less. I'm a little less optimistic that we see a big downs impact. I, I love downs. I hope we do, but we'll see. I'm, I'm less optimistic than I was about a month or two ago. But Jaron Duran. I think could have a really solid impact this year. You know, the, he's been a big speed guy in the minor leagues, above average hit tool. He's a good contact hitter. He's a guy that I think could be a leadoff hitter long term. That's not something the Red Sox don't really have. Verdugo probably hit leadoff this year, and he's a good OBP guy, so he fits in that aspect. But he's not a big speed guy, and we don't have a big speed guy right now. You, you look at some projections here. I don't think anybody on this current starting lineup gets more than like. 10 or so like probably Bogarts is the top speed guy, which is kind of funny, but Duran is a 30 plus speed guy in the making. So like I said, solid average because of the contact skills and the power. Like he adjusted the hand slot. He did driving the ball in the air more at the alt site last year. Reports are very positive there. Love to see how that sticks. I don't know if they'll start at double a probably triple a I'm guessing. So he already had some time at double a. So I think he starts at triple a in, in 2021 and he's probably, he's going to be up soon. I think, you know, they got Frenchy Cordero in left right now, Hunter Renfro in right, Verdugo in center. You know, Verdugo hasn't been the most durable guy in the world, neither has Franchi, and he's absolutely not proven. Renfro is actually maybe the safest of the three, oddly enough. So I think there's definitely a path there, although it might not be a clear path right now. I think once they need an outfielder, he'll be the first one called upon. I think his speed could make him an intriguing midseason target. And the other one here that I want to point out that I like Joey Bart. He came up like, this is the guy that was playing kind of playing Robin to Adley Bruchman's Batman in terms of catching prospects. And he came up last year and really, really struggled is still looking for his first major league home run and Buster Posey's back in the picture. So he'll catch Bart is going to start triple a most likely, but Posey is no spring chicken anymore. What, what is Posey like 35? Five, I want to say. As I, it. As, I, as I look him up real quick here. Uh, Posey. Okay, he's 34. 
But as we've seen that he hasn't played really played a full season in a while. He's definitely on the downside of his career. So he's like no lock. Like I'm not sitting here and thinking, but suppose he's a lock to, you know, be the starting catcher for the entire season. And especially if they do somehow give the DH, which I don't think that's going to happen in the NL. That would definitely open up some time for Bart as well. But if Buster Posey's is to go down or he's just to the point where he just can't hit anymore, I don't think it'll be that. I think it'll be more so the, the injury route. I'm still a Bart guy, especially in the power department where, yeah, the average might not be great, but I still believe in the power. I think he's a 30 home run bet long term. Even if the average isn't great, there'll be people won't be, he doesn't walk a ton either. So, but really, Look at the guys you probably be. If you don't have a top guy and you're kind of one of those people that go kind of wait so late and just just kind of plugs and plays whoever's hot at your catcher spot throughout the year or in your your two catcher formats, I think Bart can have value because of that power because you're going to be replacing someone that doesn't have a lot of upside. Let's let's be frank here. Like every catcher after like 13 or 14 stinks. (laughs) There's ones here and there can give you a little bit of average or a little bit of pop, but for the most part, they stink. So you're not going to be, you know, really dropping anybody of note to get Bart. So I think once he's back up, I think he could be a solid option. And another one that might be back up midseason. Let's talk about this guy for real quick, Chris, that he's depending what kind of, you know, where you look, he's not prospect eligible everywhere, but everyone asks about him and he's going to start back in the minor leagues. That's Joe Adele. Do you see any path to you know, playing time for Joe Adele this year? Do you think he's going to be fancy relevant in 2021? And would you rather have him or Marsh? I think Marsh might. If Adele struggles to start the year in AAA and Marsh starts hot, I think Marsh could leapfrog him and be up first. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. Uh, we we had this question on the live stream we did yesterday, and I do think that's the case. But looking at the outfield, I mean, the move they made for Fowler tells me that Neither of them will be up to start the year. We we kind of assume that Trout's yeah. got center field locked up, uh, Justin Upton in left, Dexter Fowler in right field, and you've also got Otani who's going to DH, but you know he can play out there as well. And I just don't really see the path to playing time for these guys right now. Adele, especially, it would take them really blowing up, I guess, in spring training or Triple A to get the call. And I do think we could see Marsh first. Obviously both guys can make a big impact. Adele is super talented, very, very, very talented player, a lot of upside. And so we'll see if he made the progressions he, he needed like in the fall and the off season, we'll get to see that in spring training. But right now for redraft, I would say it's probably best to avoid Adele and kind of see where it goes, see what he looks like in spring training, see what they're going to do with him. And from there you can, Kind of see. I mean, he's going to be one of the guys who probably is a big fab guy who, when he gets the call again, people are going to be excited about the name and really just, you know, blow it up. So we'll see. But no, I'm I'm not really drafting, looking to draft a deal. I'm not either. I kind of was beginning of the offseason. And then, you know, Madden came out and said he was a probably start at triple a then they send Fowler. So it's just his ADP has been in steady decline since probably about November or so. Yeah, I'm not targeting Adele either, but midseason, and let's let's be frank, like Justin Upton is no lock in, in that outfield. Like the only real lock is Trout. Upton is in the backside of his career, has not been both healthy and productive in a while. Uh, it's either one of the two, and for the most part lately, it's been neither of the two. So he's no lock there. Fowler, I mean, he he's okay. But I don't see him as really holding back Adele or Marsh when they deem those two ready again. So once these two are up, I'm I'm still intrigued because, like I've mentioned time and time again, Adele has struggled at basically every level to start. Then he makes adjustments and he goes all beast mode. I think he's that can be the case here. The power is legit. I think there's some speed there. Depends on how much he wants to run, but I think that he can definitely have an impact once he's back up and starting. And once he's back up, that probably means he's going to be starting. I don't think they bring Adele or Marsh up to have him play sporadically, you know, as part-time players. So they're either going to be in AAA getting regular bats or in the majors getting regular bats. That's how this works on basically every team besides Colorado and Tampa Bay. So definitely mid-season targets once they're back up. I think they'll both be back up or Adele will be back up at some point in June, July or so, maybe earlier if there's an injury. And then Marsh, probably not too far behind him, or even right around the same time. 
this is definitely like both of those guys, and they can both provide some power, some speed. So definitely would be intriguing targets midseason. And let's go on to some deep league targets here to finish things out. We have another, you know, handful of guys on this list. We put down some deep league catchers, Ryan Jeffers, Minnesota, Sam Huff in Texas, Christian Pache, Jared Oliva, Monty Harrison, Jesus Sanchez, Lewin Diaz, Jazz Chisholm. I think half this list is Miami Marlins. <laughs> Chris, uh, kind of the same question that I asked you in for the midseason. Any any one or two of these guys really stand out for you in deep leagues? Yeah, Pache's one, and this is not a homer pick at all. I mean, he's going so late in drafts. I mean, he's going to play. I mean, right now he's penciled in as the everyday center fielder in Atlanta. We saw him come up in the playoffs, and he held his own. I mean, he we faced some good pitching there against Cincinnati and then Miami and Los Angeles, and Pache looked good. I mean, he held his own well. The stats won't blow you away, but if you watch his at-bats, he was impressive. And I, the hit tool is – good the power has always been the question and i genuinely believe that he can hit for enough power to be relevant and then he's got the speed as well he's not really ever translated the speed to stolen bases like he's kind of struggled with that but i'm not writing him off yet i mean he's got true plus speed his defense is elite which you know easily keeps him in the lineup he could easily be one of the best center fielders in the game already he's got a cannon for an arm and then you look at the hit tool, which I think is probably at least average. His power, I think, gets to average. And we mentioned the speed, which is a plus in my opinion. So I think that you saw the power coming slowly but surely. And in 2019, the game power finally started showing when he hit 12 home runs between double and triple A. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see him be a 15 to even 20 home run bat in the majors because he's still growing and developing. He's still young that frame has some more projection left and I don't think it slows him down. So now I'm a fan of Pache cause he's going so late and he's going to give you at bats. Like he's one that, you know, unless the Braves go out and make a crazy move, like he's, he's going to play every day. So he's the one of that group that stands out the most to me. Yeah. For me, I think I kind of like the two catchers. <laughs> it sounds weird, but Jaffers looks like he's already going to be up in at least in some sort of timeshare with Mitch Garver. So there's already some deep league appeal there, some two catcher league appeal. And then Sam Hoff, even though he's probably going to start down in AAA, he's shown consistently that the power for him is going to be an asset. This is like kind of a 25 homer bat. Maybe he peaks around 30. And yeah, I, I have questions about the average, but this is kind of like a slightly scaled back Joey Bart. I think he has, they have similar tools, but obviously I like Bart a little more. So I think he could be a nice, you know, deeply catcher asset once he's back up, which probably is soon because, you know, I don't think they're, I think he's the catcher of the future there. So I think he'll be back up soon. And then if you want to go the opposite route, I like Jared Oliver for some speed. Like we mentioned the Pittsburgh, there's no locks in the Pittsburgh lineup. I said of Cabrian Hayes, there's no locks there. Their outfield is currently projected to be, Anthony Alford in center, the former Blue Jays prospect, and that's no lock there. And then Reynolds and Polanco, who they both stunk last year. You know, Polanco can't stay healthy anymore. So there's definitely a path to Jared Oliver getting some playing time. And, he, and he's shown he has the speed to be a 25 to 30 CO guy with a solid average and, you know, not a zero in the power department. So uh, he could be a 270, 10, 25 guy at, at peak. I don't really think he can be. So he could be a nice deep league target, you know, late round 500 plus ADP guy that I'd be intrigued about due to his speed. Uh, but then one last quick thing before we get out of here, there's probably a lot of people that ask, well, what about this guy? What about this guy? So let's kind of go over these guys real quick. We put down four guys that we don't think we're going to see. And if we do, it's probably super late and won't be a big impact. So Adley Rushman, Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, and Bobby Witt. Now, Chris, is anybody there at all do you think we do see, or are you thinking all these guys are 2022 guys? Yeah, it, best case, I think you see a month of one of them, like maybe Rutschman. Don't think so, but they could possibly bring him up at the end of the year. J-Rod, I'm going with like a very, very slim chance. Torque's probably like a 10% chance. The word on Witt is, you know, mixed – they, some people say he could be on the opening day roster. I don't think they rush him. He's late, if anything. But the chance of 
one of them debuting late, I'd say it's probably like 30% for just a single one. So I don't think the chances are high for most. I, I think they're all 2022 in my opinion. Yeah, I think I, I don't even know if I'd go 30%. Like we, you were saying maybe possibly I'm yeah, that's about what I'm saying too, where I don't think we see any of these guys. I think best case, maybe J rod or torque, but even those two, I put at 10% or less. So don't, you know, if, if you're aiming for these guys late, don't put all your eggs in these baskets. I think they're all, especially, I don't see, think we see wit. I think he's the one I put at 0%. J rod and torque are like six to 7% and Rushman three to 4%. So yeah. So I know people are going to ask about these guys so without, we'd at least mention them. Like, well, what do you think we see Rushman or J rod or torque? I think we're in agreement that we won't see any of these guys in 2021, but as we mentioned, there's a lot of intriguing targets this year for redraft, you know, mid-season guys, deep league guys. But I, rem- reminder, don't go crazy. You know, pick your spots, you know, mix them in with the safety uh, and the floor guys and your core team and don't go crazy. But definitely sprinkling in some of these upside rookies can help you win championships. And But that's going to wrap us up. Thanks to everyone again for tuning in this week. This was a lot of fun talking these hitting prospects to target in redraft leagues. We will be back again next week to talk pitching prospects for 2021 redraft leagues. And that's an even more interesting discussion due to the boomer bust of pitching prospects. But definitely tune in again next week because there's a lot of intriguing names that we're going to talk about. And we will have a great guest on, I guess we'll tease it now, James Anderson of Roto-Wire will come on next week on the most knowledgeable and well-respected people in the industry. So definitely don't want to miss that. And we will be back with you again next week. Until again, everyone take care.